is webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You have entered the doctor's lounge. Welcome again to the doctor's lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, broadcasting the doctor's lounge on America's web radio. Thank you very much for spending some time with us today. The doctor's lounge is broadcast on America's Web Radio and is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We are a 501c3 foundation that believes in the preservation and the sanctification of the doctor-patient relationship. Without a doctor-patient relationship, you do not have quality in health care. You do not have cost control. You don't have any of the things that we so desperately need to maintain, establish and maintain the quality of health care. I am pleased to announce um, today that we have another sponsor. We have uh, acquired a second sponsor, and we are very happy and proud to share that. Um, the, our sponsor is the Heartland Foundation, uh, the Heartland Institute. I'm sorry, and um, we have a, a nice little relationship with them that has uh, that we have uh, enjoyed for several months now, and that has now been sort of uh, has resulted in, I suppose, a a, a, a nice working relationship where uh, they uh, promote our radio show, and we promote. Their uh, healthcare letter, uh, actually, it's called the um, uh, the healthcare news, I think, and it's a a great um, yeah healthcare news, and it's it's a, a monthly uh, newspaper type publication that gives you everything that you need to know uh, in healthcare policy. So uh, if you want to stay up to date and you want to stay informed, uh, the combination of listening to the doctors' lounge every week and reading healthcare news and uh, and visiting the uh, the Heartland Institute's um, uh, website uh, every month will give you everything that you need to know. So uh, we welcome the Heartland Institute as a partner, and uh, we are delighted uh, to have a, a sponsorship, um, a second sponsorship after almost uh, two years on the air. So um, we're delighted to be uh, broadcasting, and uh, we're happy to have you with us uh, today. Uh, our our assigned topic is kind of a no brainer. Uh, due to the adventures that have been going on. And if you've listened to um, episodes of the Doctor's Lounge the last couple where I've had the privilege of being behind the microphone, we've been talking about uh, the relationship with uh, the, the top executives, the top administrators at uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, otherwise known as CMS. And you have heard me talk about uh, some interesting events that have taken place and uh, and that this has resulted in um, me to have a, a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous privilege of meeting with the uh, top executives at CMS and, and having a direct, you know, sort of red phone conversation with these folks about uh, what's going on with healthcare, uh, the healthcare regulatory environment, the problems that doctors are having. And maybe some ways that we can uh, help them move the ball and maybe fix some of these problems. So uh, today, uh, I think we've been charged with the task of discussing the meeting. There's been obviously a lot of interest since uh, we had that meeting one week ago Tuesday. And so, uh, you know, the purpose of today's show will be to share all of this with you and answer many of the questions that have been put to me as a result of having the meeting and sort of where we go from here and what this really means. So now, we will get started on that right now. Um, in advance, before we start, I've got to apologize for my voice. 
Um, it's ironic. I'm a voice doctor, and uh, I don't have a magic bullet to fix my own voice. Uh, makes me grateful. I'm not a urologist, I suppose. Story for another day, but uh, uh, hopefully my voice will hold out through the entire hour. Uh, I've got my throat coat tea, and I've been trying to rest my voice to get ready for the broadcast, so we'll see how it goes. But bottom line, need to lay out a little bit of background, uh, especially if you haven't been listening to past episodes or hadn't had the opportunity. Uh, we got to go back to 2015, mid-portion, actually April of last year. Congress passed a bill called MACRA, and I think it's called the Medicaid Access or Medicare Access and Chips Reauthorization Act. Uh, it was passed in response to a great need to change the formula by which Medicare determined what it paid doctors. And for the past decade or so prior to the passage of MACRA, we had this thing called SGR, Sustainable Growth Rate, and it was supposed to be a method of calculating what to pay doctors to do the work that we do. And it was a horrible mathematical model, and it would uh, consistently calculate payments that were 30% or more below what doctors are currently paid. And so Congress was burdened with every... I think 12 to 18 months to have a congressional vote, a legislative action to pass both houses to override SGR for short intervals. And as one would expect, they got sort of tired of doing this all the time. And so they finally got the gumption up and got enough bipartisan support to pass a bill that nullified SGR and replaced it with something else. And organized medicine completely drank the Kool-Aid on this bill. On on the surface, it looks real good. It gets rid of SGR, and everybody wanted to get rid of SGR. Uh, the problem was uh, it's a 200-page bill. The first five pages repealed SGR, and the next 200 pages did a bunch of stuff that really was not helpful. Um, among those things was it took all of the quality reporting programs, which nobody likes, and it took the meaningful use program, which nobody likes, and sort of gave all of these things immortality, legislative immortality, if you will. The meaningful use part was originally conceived, this is an incentive program to coerce physicians and hospitals into using electronic medical records. This was, in its original conception, a limited $30 billion five-year program. And we were all hoping perhaps it would come to an end when the money ran out and the mandate ran out. Well, MACRA sort of gave all of these things immortality. But what it really did in practice was took the load off of Congress for all of these things and gave it to HHS, which, of course, passes it to – subs it out to CMS, which is below HHS. And, uh, and, and so that gave Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services the daunting task of taking all of these things, the PQRS quality program, the value-based purchasing, the, uh, the meaningful use uh, electronic medical records incentive programs, and rolling this whole thing up into a new set of regulations um, that would go on for time immemorial, presumably. And, and so in that background with this coming up and with CMS facing the task in 2016 of actually writing all these regulations from scratch but based on the existing programs, um, Andy Slavitt, the, the head of CMS, the acting administrator of CMS, uh, appointed by the president, I believe, um, came out with some interesting comments, and we reviewed those before. But the gist of those comments was we need to get buy-in from physicians again. Uh, we have a situation where whether you believe that meaningful use in its original form was good or not, we have we have some problems now. And so – I responded to that personally with an open letter to Andy Slavitt, and we've talked about that before. 
posted that letter on my blog, uh, tweeted him on Twitter, and got a response from him within a couple of hours, which was extremely impressive and very unexpected. And from there, we had a dialogue, and from there, we arranged a meeting with his team at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services at their offices, which I thought were in Washington, D.C., but they were in Baltimore, which is another story I'll tell in a couple of minutes. So in that context, of course, with this very incredible opportunity coming up, I try to do as much preparation as I can, Which and the preparation for this meeting came in three parts. One was to get background from my physician colleagues to be sure I was up to speed, to get some background from my colleagues in the health IT field. Uh, and I've got three folks that I'm very um, grateful for on the uh, IT side, Chuck Webster, uh, Don Lee, and Shalid Shah, Shahid Shah, um, who all took some time out to talk to me, and I'm going to play their comments for you in a minute. Uh, and so then we had to sort of put all this together and be sure that I had some intelligent comments plan to say. So um, I'm going to go ahead and play for you what the folks on the health IT side said about what I should be taking to this meeting with CMS on their behalf. So here we go. pledge or some of this new requirements for open APIs and try to leverage that towards getting a little bit of help from inside. Yes, you in the back row. Okay, I got it. Uh, This is Chuck Webster talking. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, believe it or not, uh, in one of the slides of one of the technical uh, committees advising CMS and ONC, uh, there was a a slide on should we make workflow engine technology a meaningful use requirement? Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. And, and okay, I do not want to see what happened to APIs and what happened. Or not, I do not want to see what happened to usability yeah. because of government mandates right. via subsidies happen to workflow technology or to the API world. Uh, you know, and I have to, you know, I'll have to say, uh, you know, could you please just tell them the hands off? No, I would back love to tell the hands off. I, that's that was my plan. Could you just do that, so please. I appreciate we, that. You know, as they slowly start to roll meaningful use into MIPS slash macra, is to say, look, can we just kind of back off on some of this stuff because you know we're spending so much time being compliant, we got no much time to innovate. And that was going to be one of my messages. So I, it's just a matter of you know, did you guys have any ideas on how to massage that a little? Further? I've got, I've got two. But I love the hands-off thing for sure. Yeah, two suggestions for you. One is on the conversation we were just having about the smaller, nimbler, uh, just uh, sub applications kind of taking bites off of the EMRs. Just make sure that whatever legislation and incentive they come out with doesn't hinder that from happening. Um, because if you if, if the incentives are tied to big installations, it's going to make it harder for those those uh, smaller things to take hold and and, and help you doctors in a, in a way that doesn't require a huge install. And the second one is just generally speaking to stop incenting the how. Um, yes. Nobody cares about how this happens, or nobody should care about how it happens. Define what we need to get to. What are the objectives we're trying to achieve? Uh, I don't know how you define those, but define the goal. And then let people get to the goal however they see fit. If they achieve the goal, then they get some incentive money. If they don't achieve the goal, they don't. Who cares if they've checked a box and haven't helped anybody or if they've you know, God bless you. Yes. And <laughs> helped anybody? So there you have it. In spite of the fact that I tried to 
sort of bait the question a little bit in terms of um, getting them to tell me what they wanted to be put into the new regulations. What do you want me to add, Have ask them to add to the regulations? Um, they didn't take the bait, right? Chuck Webster, first thing out of his mouth is, no, 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 please don't help us that much. Uh, we don't want extra help. We want you to back off and let us in IT do our job. And this is very significant. This is a this is a sea change, right? A paradigm shift. Pick your pick your metaphor. It's uh, it's a change. Now, they perhaps the health IT industry is realizing that this whole idea of legislated demand of of artificial demand for products based on regulation um, has its limits. And after five years, is getting stale. Because it helped them sell stuff that wasn't very good. It helped them sell things that equipment that was not ready to be used uh, for patient care. Um, but they're getting frustrated with that because they understand this as well now. So that's a very significant um, sort of change. So, so as we close the first segment, here's what we've got is this very interesting alignment of the stars and planets. We have an opportunity as we take old regulations and morph them into new regulations. We have an opportunity to change and significantly roll back those regulations. Uh, we have a willingness, an already expressed willingness on the part of CMS to change those regulations based on an acknowledgement that there's a problem. Uh, and then we have this whole unique timing situation with Andy Slavitt's comments, my open letter, their response to that comments, those comments. And as a result of the ensuing dialogue, we have a meeting set up uh, at a time which in some ways couldn't be better, I suppose. Um, that's the end of the first segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, broadcasting to you on America's Web Radio. Our 
programs are also available by podcast on the iTunes uh, site. Uh, it's probably the best way for you to listen at your convenience as opposed to trying to get yourself uh, available every uh, Thursday morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, we do rebroadcast at 10 o'clock on Thursday mornings and I think on Fridays, although the time escapes me at the moment. Uh, but we're doing about 18,000 podcasts a month, uh, podcast downloads a month. So clearly that's probably the most convenient way to do it. So uh, I urge you to continue your support of the Doctor's Lounge, whether you listen live or you get a, a get us by podcast. Uh, the Doctor's Lounge is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We're a 501c3 that believes in freedom of choice in health care. Um, I urge you, I encourage you, I beg you, uh, go to the uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation website at www.d, the numeral 4, the letter P, the letter C, Docs, D4PC, D, the letter 4, I'm sorry, the letter 4, listen to me, D, the numeral 4, PC, the word foundation.org. And please donate generously to keep this radio show going, to keep the work that we uh, do in the organization. Not only are we doing this, we're doing uh, our website that we maintain. We make lots of trips to uh, state legislatures and to Washington, D.C. to try to keep this dream alive and keep the ball moving. Um, so we certainly appreciate your support by continuing to listen to the program. Uh, we ask you for some monetary support as well. No amount is too small and certainly – no amount is too large. So please uh, consider us in your uh, charitable giving. Uh, we're a 501c3, and it's tax deductible just like it is for any other uh, or similar um, organization. We were talking in the first segment uh, about preparation for this very, very big meeting with CMS that I had the privilege of participating in. Uh, it is a unique uh, combination of conditions that makes the meeting relevant and important. Uh, we have an opportunity as... CMS rewrites literally all the regulations for meaningful use, which is the Electronic Medical Record Incentive Program, PQRS, which is a quality measure reporting program, uh, and a couple of other components um, into a program called MIPS, uh, Merit-Based uh, Incentive Payment System. Uh, and that is a part of the macro bill that we were talking about in the um, – in the prior segment. Uh, and in giving you all this background on all this preparation that, that needed to be done, um, I was hoping to be able to bring to CMS um, sort of a, a unified voice to try and make the case that uh, now that Meaningful Use has been around for five years, the results, certainly it succeeded in what it set out to do, which was to put electronic medical records in just about every healthcare institution in America. They're about 80% successful on the doctor side and almost 100% successful on the hospital side. They did it. Now, the question is, what problems did they create in the process of doing it? So we have this unique opportunity where the, the regulations are being rewritten by CMS the healthcare IT community, the health IT community, and the medical community are actually becoming closer in agreement that this thing is causing a lot of problems. And this bizarre timing with, you know, Mr. Slavitt's comments, the letter, the dialogue, and the meeting getting scheduled. So I was hoping to be able to present, you know, the health IT community and the doctor's community speaking as one voice which is a very new and very interesting thing. You know, you've heard me talk on the radio here over low these past almost two years now about how the health IT community and the physician community have been in completely different worlds. 
marching to completely different drummers and barely being aware of each other, which is very ironic. But I think we see enough things happening to to declare that that's changing happily and that we are facing much less of a difference of opinion and, and that perhaps our worlds are beginning to align in terms of what we think needs to happen. So that was my hope in going into this meeting. So Monday of last week, uh, I traveled to Washington, D.C. I had my usual day. And again, uh, remind you that, that those of us on the Docs for Patient Care Foundation board are, are full-time practicing physicians. Uh, we are not idle policy wonks that sit around and read stuff and write stuff. Um, we spend 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week caring for patients. And in that little bit of time that's left when you're not sleeping and not trying to be a good husband and a good father and a good member of a family, we spend the wee hours of the night and the early hours of the morning trying to read stuff and keep up as much as someone who's a full-time professional. So Monday of last week, I have my usual day in the operating room. I close it off a little bit early and rush to the airport, uh, actually make my flight and get into Washington, D.C. And then I discover that um, CMS is not in Washington, D.C. CMS is in Baltimore. So at the last minute, I had to scramble and get a driver. And uh, on, on Tuesday morning, instead of just going to Capitol Hill like I expected, we need to get in the car and drive. Fortunately, it's only about 45 minutes, but drive to Baltimore and, and be there in time for the meeting. So note to self, make sure you know where the heck your meeting's going to be before you make your travel plans. So thankfully, I made it there in one piece, and I made it there in plenty of time. Uh, and uh, it, CMS is a very, very interesting place. I had this envisioned as a big building in Washington, D.C. that looked kind of like all the other big buildings in Washington, D.C., but it's in an odd place. It's at the end of a road that mostly goes to suburban neighborhoods. So I'm the driver is taking me there, and I'm watching the scenery go by. And for a long time, we're on interstate, and that looks fine. And then we get off this exit, and it's nothing but houses, and we keep getting farther and farther off the beaten path. And about the time I'm thinking, okay, I'm dead. I'm never going to make this meeting because we're driving around a bunch of houses. Poof. You come up on this huge intimidating gate, and behind this huge intimidating gate is a huge parking lot and a huge piece of land and then a huge intimidating building out at the horizon. And the security is even tighter than anything I've ever seen in Washington, D.C. I mean, you have to stop the car. You have to get out of the car, and a couple of heavily armed guards searches your car, searches the undercarriage. You have to open the trunk, open the doors. I, it was, I had no idea the level of security would be so high. And so we make it through that, and, and I got there in plenty of time, thank God, and uh, uh, and then we had the meeting. So we start this meeting, and uh, uh, we do introductions first. So um, in, in this meeting is number one, who is uh, Kate Goodrich, Dr. Kate Goodrich, who uh, heads the quality team at CMS. And uh, Dr. Goodrich is uh, also a practicing physician. She's a hospitalist at the George Washington University Medical Center. So uh, it, it's, I'm was not only pleased to find that there were physicians in this meeting who are the top administrators, but that they still practice. And I think that's a very big deal because it means at least at some small level, they have to live with the consequences of the regulations they create. And I think that does help, you know, give you a certain amount of intellectual and, you know, moral honesty. I think that's a big deal. The other physician in the group is uh, Dr. Pat Conway. He's a pediatrician. 
and he doesn't you know practice a whole lot but a few hours a month or a couple of days a month you know he's able to go out and take care of kids and to the same things that uh, that other other physicians do uh and uh, he was very impressive he was by video link and uh, it is interesting that uh, just yesterday uh, the new york times had a very nice article uh, on Dr. Conway talking about this sort of dual role where he's living as a physician and taking care of real patients in a real facility. And at the same time, he goes and does this uh, thing at CMS. And um, it, there was some interesting background uh, information in the article. He was recruited by uh, Don Berwick, uh, who was uh, head of CMS at the time. And and he, apparently uh, Berwick made some very interesting comments about the time that he appointed Dr. Conway, one of which was um, that he was completely appalled by the situation regarding quality reporting. And the article quotes Berwick as saying he wanted a 50% reduction in all of the metrics required for all of this quality reporting. And that squares exactly with what um, Shahid Shah was saying in some of his comments to me when they were helping me prep for this meeting that they're looking for fewer numerators and fewer denominators, which is what these metrics are if you get into the, the weeds on exactly how these things are reported. Um, and, you know, from my dealings with Dr. Conway during this meeting, I would say that this glowing New York Times article is well-deserved. Uh, you know, I'm impressed with Dr. Goodrich and Dr. Conway, and it was great. Uh, joining them was uh, two other folks, uh, Gene Moody-Williams, who uh, is first assistant to uh, Dr. Goodrich, and uh, Natalie Davis, who is a senior advisor, I think, to Mr. Slavitt. So um, we did all the introductions, and and uh and then I asked them a couple of questions. I thought it would be a good way to start off and get them talking first. And, uh, and so they introduced themselves. We went around the table, and then I asked them, well, I know you guys are talking to other physicians. Um, what are they telling you? And they said, well, they're telling us that, you know, we hate meaningful use, we hate PKRS, you know, all of these programs are creating a huge burden. Uh, nobody likes them, and, and they need to be changed. And I said, well, okay, that's what they're telling you. What have you learned? What have you concluded so far? And this was very pleasantly surprising. They basically said in so many words, well, not so many words. They said, we have a problem. You know, we're pleased. They are not me. We, CMS, is pleased with the widespread adoption of electronic medical records. That's a good thing. Um, However, it has created some unforeseen consequences. It's created some problems, and that's a bad thing. And we need to fix those problems. So on one hand, I was pleased to hear that. Um, on the other hand, I kind of panicked a little bit because that was going to be my message. And so the question is, if, if they're already convinced of that piece, uh, it does me no good to try to continue to talk about it. You know, you know my father was a salesman. Um, he tried to teach me everything he knew about selling stuff. And one of the things my father taught me was once you've made the sale, shut up, stop talking. There's nothing else that you can say to improve the situation once you've made the sale. In fact, you run the risk of saying something stupid and uh, losing the sale after your customers already agreed to sign on the dotted line. So rule number one, once you've made the sale, be quiet, stop talking, move on. Well, I was prepared to make the sale about how bad things were, uh, but they're already sold. So what do I spend the rest of my 45 minutes of precious time talking about? Well, you got to kind of call an audible and say, okay, what are you going to do? Well, I decided on the spot what you do is give them more 
analysis and less passion because they've heard the passion. We know that already. We've we I learned in this meeting they've heard doctors pound their fist on the table and say, oh, this stinks. You know, we hate you people. This is awful. Uh, and so, you know, to even begin to go down that same road again is not going to serve what I considered to be my primary goal of this meeting, which was relationship building on the front end. I was not going into this to, to, you know, to pound my fist on the table or say any kind of ugly stuff. Uh, my first objective was to get them to like us and learn to trust us so that w- this relationship continues to grow and, you know, go years into the future beyond this whole MIPS macro, you know, writing the, the legislation project. So we tried to go with sell them on us. And, and take it a step farther and say, well, we can help you fix it, right? You already understand the problem. You already acknowledge the problem. No point in going there. Let's talk about how to fix it and how we can help you fix it beyond just comments like you've heard before. We're at the end of the second segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. This is Mike Kurichak. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchek. Thanks very much for spending time with us today and sticking around all the way through segment three. I hope you stay the entire hour because we've got lots more stories to tell about this meeting with CMS, which really went very, very well. But before I get too deep into the segment, um, I want to recognize um, David Moxley, uh, who is the heart and soul of America's Web Radio. Um, he runs the board for us every week. And and, uh, you know, since we've bought some gear and, and been able to do the show um, here at home uh, at my house in my office, um, I don't see David much anymore. And uh, and I, I have to apologize to David publicly in front of the whole audience here and, and recognize 
that, that me doing this show at home and, and Hal doing the show from here when he can uh, is easier for us. It's probably a lot harder for David because he's got to listen to the recordings ahead of time and be sure that they're okay. Um, and then, you know, we, we miss out on the fellowship of being together and, and coming to the studio every day. Um, we do it because it gives us a bit more flexibility with guests and it gives us some flexibility to get the show pre-recorded uh, in advance of every Thursday morning. But, uh, David, I just want to let you know if you're listening, I miss you. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of these days I'm just going to come back in and do the show from there just for the heck of it so I get to see you again. And, and I appreciate the uh, the inconvenience we put you to to, to do the show and pre-record it and sort of send you the shows late at night on a Wednesday. So um, thanks to David Moxley of America's Web Radio. He's terrific, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to say so. So to pick up where we left off, uh, we hear, we're talking about this, this meeting with CMS, uh, the unique circumstances that make this meeting very interesting and very important, uh, and an opportunity for, uh, for us to um, hopefully have some very direct and sort of intimate influence on how these regulations that cover so much of what we do and are so much of a burden to the practice of medicine, and as they morph those from the original Meaningful Use high-tech bill, which was a 2008-2009 bill, into the macro structure, which is a 2015-2016 bill, uh, and that hopefully we can use that opportunity to uh, favorably influence how these uh, in these regulations are morphed from one form to the other. And so that's the context in which we have this meeting uh, with the folks at CMS that we had um, that we had mentioned um, in the earlier segment. Um, you know, Kate Goodrich, Pete Conway, Jean Moody Williams, and Natalie Davis, um, all of whom I have to say I was extremely impressed with. Uh, uh, very delighted to, to have spent some time with these folks. Um, I believe that they're sincere in their desire to make things better for doctors. Uh, they are certainly putting plenty of effort into learning from docs, not just me, but lots of, uh, of physicians, um, in terms of what's going wrong and, and what the problems are with uh, with the quality reporting and the meaningful use program and some of these other sort of excessively burdensome things. Um, I think the interest in fixing things is genuine. Uh, obviously, nothing matters except results, and hopefully we get there. Um, but uh, at this point, I'm, I'm really pleased with what's going on. So we left off at the end of segment two, um, talking about the fact that it was good that they, they acknowledged that, but it sort of threw a wrench in my plan on what I was going to present. So we had to sort of call an audible and say, okay, we don't, I don't need to talk anymore about how bad things are. They get it. What I need to talk about is maybe a little less emotion, a little more analysis, and a little more of an eye towards offering our help in how to fix it, not just recognizing what's wrong, because it sounds like they're pretty much through recognizing what's wrong, at least at the 50,000-foot level. And, you know, We have some opportunities here to get down in the weeds and really, and really, really fix this. So... As we went around the table and we talked about all these things and they introduced themselves and they shared with me what they had learned from other doctors and what their attitude was, uh, I said, okay, let me, let me see how we can help you do that. I said, you know, we, uh, I think we can help you because we've got some background that I don't think you're going to find around most doctors. So I kind of reviewed what I was, would like to bring to the table. And said that my story, my history here sort of follows the rule of halves. And what do I mean by that? Well, I've got 40 years of information technology experience that goes back to the 70s. I have 20 years, half of 40, 20 years of experience as a doctor, 
10 years, half of 20, with electronic medical records. And of those 10 years with EMR, we've got five years before meaningful use and five years after meaningful use. And I said, at the end of all that, I told them, we believe in the vision. We believe in your vision that electronic medical records technology, health information technology can improve things if it's done right. To this point, it hasn't really been done right. And, you know, that's a sort of a one level of direct diss on what they're doing. But they're like, you know what? Yeah, we agree. We get it. And so no matter how I spun this, they would come back around and say, look, you know what? We agree. So we talked a little bit about, you know, what we could offer them. And I said, look, I would like to do a couple of things today at this meeting. The first is really the, the, the highest priority is to establish the working relationship. I want you guys to learn to like us, learn to trust us, and for us at Docs for Patient Care Foundation to become your boots-on-the-ground source for physician opinion and insight regarding healthcare policy. And we're starting off talking about health information technology-related stuff, but we want that to blossom out into just about any endeavor that you know you find on your table. And I sort of offered them sort of a, of a, of a two-way deal. I said, look, what we need, what doctors need, is we desperately need a, a, a way to communicate with you. We need a way to come directly to you, not through all this layers of lower-level bureaucracy, but we want to be able to talk to you. Um, in return for that, if you give us the means to do so, that we'll pivot and face the physician community where there's a whole lot of torches and pitchforks out there looking for CMS and say, look, these people are not two-headed monsters at CMS. They're not looking for excuses to torture doctors. And in fact, the unique perspective of the current staff that's there is that they inherited meaningful use and MIPS and MACRA and all this stuff. I mean, CMS pretty much inherits everything. They don't create any of this. And so they don't have that emotional bond to it the way you would expect from thousands of miles away that everybody is kind of in cahoots and everybody sort of feels the same way about every single issue. Not necessarily so. These folks did not create it. They inherited it. And so that's a different perspective and far less direct emotional attachment than if you were the one that created it and it was totally your baby from the beginning. So I said, look, let us communicate with you. And in turn, if you give me just cause, I will turn around, we will turn around and pivot, face the physician community and say, look, these folks really are for real. But I said, you need to give me something. I just can't go back and, and endorse the status quo and say that everything's wonderful. That, that is simply not credible to the physician audience. And they were totally open-minded to that. They were very happy to sort of work within that sort of, sort of paradigm. And I also emphasize to them that we have media, we have lots of folks we communicate, and there's a lot of folks waiting to hear the results of this meeting. So we have plenty of opportunity to make good on, on, on both ends of this, of this proposal. And so, um, then they asked me next and said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's get down to the nitty gritty here. What is it? What are the three or four things that you, Dr. K, me, would change about the Meaningful Use Program. And I decided I wasn't going to answer the question immediately or directly. I had some things I want to say, and I'm just going to get out and say it. I said, well, let's, let me answer the question with a story. And they like that idea. Let, let me answer the question with a story. I told you that we 
in our practice, your nose and throat of Georgia, have had electronic medical records for 10 years. Uh, five of those years were before meaningful use. Five of those years were after meaningful use. It gives us a pretty good opportunity to compare. And here's what happened. For the first five years when we were not burdened by all these government regulations, we were free to solve problems as they came up. And I will tell you we solved them. And you'd have to go back to some old broadcasts or go back to some of my old blog posts from 2010, 2011. But we chronicled all this. We, I mean, we kicked butt. We really did. We did a, we were, did a really neat job of identifying and solving problems such that our initial electronic medical record install was far easier for us than it was for most other practices. We solved a lot of problems, and I don't have time to go into each of those here, but we, we chronicled them on the blog. We were doing great. And then one day, this thing called Meaningful Use comes along, and about the same time, we kind of got the gumption to go back to our EMR vendor, uh, corporate, not our local reseller because we didn't have one at the time. Went to, G- to corporate and said, look, we've got five years of experience with our system. We're getting pretty good at this. We'd like to partner with you, our vendor, and create a ear, nose, and throat specialty specific product for EMR. That's actually very easy to do from a programming standpoint, the way our EMR structured. And they said, well, you know, we'd love to talk to you, but we can't. Why can't we talk to you? Because this whole meaningful use thing just came out, and we have all hands on deck uh, emphasizing government compliance instead of innovation. So we can't talk to you. So it was a rather devastating day, and I told them I, I thought this was the day that innovation died and that meaningful use has killed the ability to innovate. And it turns out the irony was even if GE was willing to talk to us, we didn't have time anymore either because in the last five years, I, as the main software writer for our EMR, um, I have no time to do interesting, innovative things and solve problems and, and break new ground that is truly helpful. It's all about compliance. If I'm not writing stuff to comply with meaningful use, I'm writing it to comply with ICD-10 or PQRS or all this sort of, you know, existing garbagey programs uh, that, uh, you know, basically kill our ability to innovate. So I told them that story, and uh, and they were very receptive. The the second sort of major theme of this was talking about what how how do regulations that they write get carried down to the level of the physician's practice? And I said, currently we have sort of a three tiered system. We have CMS writing regulations, which are all in federal legalese and are completely undecipherable. If you go to cms.gov, pull up the PDF that's got these documents and try to read it, forget it. You won't get anywhere, and they readily admitted that. They even said there's they, there's not much good on their website. They admitted as much. Uh, you know, it's just they said it's just words there, uh, nothing that's really terribly helpful. And so we can't translate those regulations. We can't comply with those regulations without professional help. So, fine, we get the professional help. Where does the professional help come from? It comes from our IT vendors, and it comes from other health information technology consultants. And the, the health IT community recognizes this, and, and, and the marketing strategy for most of these vendors, if not practically all of them, is to position themselves as advisors. They recognize the gap between what's getting written, what is, you know, what Doc's got to do with it, and they position themselves as advisors 
um, and try to bring those regulations to us in a way that we can actually you know take action and figure out what to do and comply with them except that that um, that model has a problem and um, I'm going to go into what that problem is um, at the beginning of the fourth and final segment you are listening to the doctor's lounge on America's web radio stay with us The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, broadcasting on America's Web Radio. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, continuing with us uh, all the way through the fourth segment. Uh, This story about the meeting with CMS is not over yet, so please stick around. I hope I can get everything filled in here uh, by the end of the hour. We've got just this last uh, segment left to talk about it. So to pick up uh, where we had left off, we were sort of talking about the the fundamental themes uh, that we had talked about during this meeting. And so the first one was to, you know, to talk about our major goal here, which was to establish a working relationship uh, that we really didn't have to pick off any other major particular talking points. This was not a meeting that was about talking points. This was not a typical Capitol Hill kind of meeting with talking points. This was more about long-term relationship building. So that was theme number one. Theme number two uh, sort of talked about meaningful use and the fact that, uh, you know, yes, doctors hate it. Yes, it's unfair at some level. Uh, nobody really cares about unfair. This is really about the, the detrimental effects to all of the stakeholders in this particular situation and that both doctors and health IT professionals are beginning to come together and speak with one voice about this, um, that meaningful use kills innovation. It forces everybody to walk in lockstep. It diverts all of the resources that would normally be devoted towards making products better and making the implementation of EMRs better and divert it all into jumping through government hoops, generating terabytes of data that no one's ever going to read and uh, that, that we need to fix this, and they agree. The second theme uh, sort of talked about the model uh, in which these regulations get passed down from the, uh, the, up, the upper tiers of CMS all the way down to providers that are actually trying to take care of patients every day. 
and that we really have sort of a three-tiered system, right? We have CMS that writes these laws in a completely unintelligible form. It's not written in English. It's written in legalese, and you've got to be a lawyer with a, uh, a, a subspecialty in federal law to even be able to read these things uh, and interpret what they mean. So you can't go to CMS.gov, and I know this because I've tried. You can't go to the website cms.gov, pull up the PDF documents that have these regulations and read them and actually, you know, take some cliff notes and try to go to your practice and execute these things and actually try to follow the law. That doesn't work because you can't read them. I mean, you can't read them and understand them enough to, to put your to put your compliance on the line and hope that you would survive, you know, a random audit. You can't do it. So what do you do instead? Well, you go and hire people in the health IT community who are either your vendors, who are sort of your partner, as it were, to, to get you compliant with meaningful use, or you handle, you hire, I mean, other consultants to help you with security regulations. Because remember, part of meaningful use, meeting the meaningful use requirements, is to do your HIPAA high-tech security audit and be sure that you are hacker-proof and ransomware-proof and all that kind of thing. And so we have a situation where the only people who can interpret these laws and present them to us, the physicians, in some sort of intelligent manner are the same people who want to sell us stuff. Now, there's nothing morally wrong with wanting to sell something. That's how capitalism works. That's how America works. There's nothing intrinsically evil about wanting to sell something. And quite legitimately, the most health IT vendors use that as a marketing strategy and say, well, look, we're going to position ourselves to educate physician practices. And in the process of that education, we will also support them by selling the stuff that we have. Uh, and that system creates a moral hazard. It's not the IT f- folks' fault. That I would do the same thing if I were in their position. Uh, but the situation's bad because we have no primary document that we can go to and even know if these guys are doing their job right. And I told the folks at CMN, I said, we hired these people. We pay them huge amounts of money with simple requests. Make us legal. Keep us legal. Make this right. We will spend the money, even though we barely have it, uh, because doctors are pleasers. And I told them this, and this resonated with them. Doctors are pleasers, right? We got to where we are. We got all the way through training by pleasing our parents first, pleasing our teachers at school, pleasing our professors in college, and pleasing our attendings and professors and, and folks who are training us through med school and residency. So we like to please everybody that we come in contact with. Uh, the problem is that becomes maladaptive once you get out of residency training and you get into the business world of medicine where there are competitive stakeholders. There are people who want to gain things at the expense of physicians. And that pleaser policy makes you a sitting duck. It also means we have no way of policing the services that health IT vendors provide. We pay them the money, they do their thing, and it's either right or it's not, and we have no idea of knowing. I mean, they, they, they don't, and, and, and they, the, the ugly truth is they don't know either, and that's the scary part. And I went into this story with them that you look them in the eye and you say, make us HIPAA compliant, make us meaningful use compliant. And they say, okay, we'll do that. And then you go back to them a month later and say, how are we doing on that meaningful use and HIPAA compliance thing? And they go, ah, we'll get back to you. 
or they'll say, ah, you know, I think I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy that can help us. And I'm not making that up. I've heard both those stories. And so I shared these stories with them, and I think they were they were duly impressed, and I think they they understood what they were hearing, uh, and I, I believe in their in their commitment to fix things. Uh, so as we were talking about these a couple of themes, um, then uh, Dr. Conway uh, hit me with a question that I did not expect, and I hope I answered it correctly, or at least I hope I answered it appropriately. I don't know that there's any one answer. But he said, which would you favor? Would you favor that we fixed this problem by basically evolution or revolution? He said, there are those who have proposed that we just need to completely blow this thing up and start over uh, and replace it with a different regulatory structure, or we take the structure we have and sort of mold it. We sort of evolved it. And uh, that was a tough question and a rather, you know, critical question because, you know, the, the words were bursting from my lips. I could barely hold them back, which was to say, oh, heck, blow it up. I mean, get rid of the whole thing, tear the whole thing up and, and, and start from scratch. The problem is before I said it, I was like, well, what are you going to replace it with? And so I answered a question with a question and said – well, I guess it depends on the regulatory structure you replace it with. I mean, you know, at the moment, it's hard to imagine anything worse than meaningful use, but gosh, put the right people in charge, and I'll bet they could create something that's worse than meaningful use. So, again, realizing that this was a first date, and I told them that multiple times. I said, look, this thing we're doing together right now is, is like a first date. You don't talk religion on a first date. You don't deal with the heavy questions on the first date. On the first date, if you really want to get along and get to the second date, you know, you keep the conversation light. You say, oh, your favorite color's blue? Wow, that's my favorite color too, whether your favorite color's blue or not. And so this was getting along. This was learning to trust. And so I made a strategic choice. And a lot of my colleagues probably aren't going to be happy with this choice. But I said, you know, let's, for the moment at least, let's talk about evolution instead of revolution. Because that's safer. Uh, because that is there. There are probably too many stakeholders to you know the, who are devoted to the status quo that that you're going to have a hard time. If you aim too high, you're going to fail. Uh, you know, maybe it's like the old adage: a half a loaf of bread's better than none. I don't know. That's a rather <laughs> that saying will invoke a lot of inflammatory responses. But uh, I made a judgment call. Maybe it was the right call. Maybe it wasn't. I'm, you know, I, I think we can have a chance to to modify that if we need to. But um, it made for a very interesting conversation around that point because I, I think that the folks who advocate revolution are the same ones that that get very angry at these people and pound their fist on the desk and say they're all terrible people and they're all two headed monsters who are devoted to making doctors miserable. So I think the rhetoric that goes along with the revolutionary argument is probably a little too inflammatory to buy into. And again, on a first date, I kind of made a sort of a strategic uh, decision uh, to try and uh, and, uh, and do something a little less inflammatory and a little more conciliatory, a little more uh, more conducive uh, to uh, to relationship building, um, if you will. So then the conversation kind of went on to the last sort of major theme of this meeting. And this meeting was only about 40 minutes. It wasn't very long. So we got a lot of 
stuff done in in 40 minutes. So there were, there were two last things that came up. And the first was uh, I wanted to make sure I got the message in that was coming from both the health IT community and the physician community was that all of this quality reporting stuff is absolute garbage in its current form. Uh, I didn't want to get too deep into it. I didn't want to call for the abolition of quality measures, but I said, look, everybody, uh, you know, whether you're John Halamka, who's the chief uh, information officer, medical information officer at Beth Israel Deaconess, or you're Don Berwick, uh, or, you know, anyone else in these communities, there are widespread calls to reduce the quality reporting burden that we have dozens and dozens of numerators and denominators to report. We're generating terabytes of data that nobody's reading, and even if they did, they would find it useless to true improvements to quality of patient care. I said, "This this is coming from all corners of the universe. For God's sake, we need to reduce the reporting burden here. We need to reduce this quality reporting burden because it's not serving the needs of patients. It's raising expenses. I mean, there are no winners in this. You know, even the health IT community who's making money off of this stuff is, is starting to tire of the idea. And, and Shahid Shah even said that when we were, I was having our sort of, you know, health IT, hymns, social media ambassador roundtable. That, that message was loud and clear that we need to reduce reporting burden and not increase it. And again, I think they were very receptive. So uh, last part of the meeting was, you know, what was the ask? What are we going to get that's, that's the next step? You know, we can't just end this meeting and say, have a nice day and walk away. There's got to be more to come. And so we got two things. One is they handed me their, their new perspective um, mission statement and vision statement. And uh, I don't remember the exact verbiage on the thing, and they didn't want to give me a copy, but it was kind of like, uh, CMS is a trusted provider, a, pr- a trusted partner with physicians to provide important data to raise the quality of patient care. That was sort of in there somewhere. And I read that sentence and I said, guys, this isn't going to work. I said, no one out there currently regards you as a trusted partner to provide information that's vital to patient care. I said, you need to do two things in this mission statement. Uh, the first is to acknowledge that there's a problem. And the second is you need to add rhetoric that says CMS is going to earn the trust of providers. There has to be a concept of earning the trust of providers. So we talked about that. We marked up the mission statement right there on the spot, gave it back to them. The last thing was I think we did get a commitment from them to give us a preliminary MIPS macro document, the regulations, um, so that we will be able to mark this up and return it directly to them through a far more sort of intimate and direct route than the usual commentary period. So very exciting news indeed. I will keep you all posted, you know, when it's my turn to be on the air on how this is all going. Um, we've reached the end of the hour. You are listening to, you've been listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Thanks so much. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.